CNN. Radio. This is CNN Profiles, where we get to know people whose unique experience and insights can shape our understanding of the world, and who better to shape our understanding of this second and last presidential debate coming up than the debate's moderator, CNN's own Candy Crowley. Welcome, Candy. Thank you very much. Candy, I've known you for so long, but I really don't know you. I've been here more than 15 years. I've talked to you. I've re- I read your scripts almost every day, and to me, they're all political poetry. I've told you that. Ah, that's very nice. Well, it's true. So, but we, 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 want, we want to get to know you a little better. So my first question, and this is a very immediate question, before my teenage daughter has an important test, we tell her, try to get to bed early, get a good night's sleep. <laughs> Are you going to be getting a good night's sleep the night and before the debate? And let me ask you something. Does she try to get a good night's sleep, and does it work, or is she too nervous to sleep? She rarely gets a good night's sleep, and if you have a formula for that as a parent, which I know you are, you let me know. (laughs) The thing is, I will try very hard to at least be in bed with reading materials, and hopefully they'll be boring enough, and I'll already know so much of it that I'll fall asleep. But it's really hard, as you know, when you're gearing up for something to go, okay, now let's get a good solid eight hours. It almost never happens. How much, uh, we've talked to each other when you're on the road a lot, and how much sleep do you normally get? It really depends on the day. I'll tell you, I get more now than I got when I was on the road, because there were times when we were covering a camp- one campaign or another where we would get into the hotel room at 12 o'clock at night or 1 o'clock and then have to be someplace by 6 the next morning. And so if you're walking into a hotel room at 1 o'clock, I can assure you you're not in bed until 2, and then you're up again, if you, especially if you're a girl correspondent, uh, to do makeup and hair and all that kind of stuff about four hours later. So I have done sleep deprivation, and there's a point when you're so sleep-deprived it feels like, feels like adrenaline, but I have also found as you get older, you less and less have that feeling. You're just plain tired. And, and on many of those days when you've had those four hours of sleep, you've gone how long that next day in terms of work? Particularly in the end of a campaign, you can do, you can do that four hours over and over and over again, and sometimes you get even less than that. It's just the end of a campaign is so hectic because you are following around a man or a woman whose entire career is flashing before them. It all comes down to these last two weeks or three weeks or whatever it is. So you do it and you promise yourself that as soon as it's over, you're going to take a great vacation. And did you always keep that promise to yourself? No. (laughs) (laughs) Because what happens is if the incumbent, in this case that would be President Obama, wins, then you're going to see the cabinet officials coming forward who are not going to stay. We already know Hillary Clinton is one of those. So then we have to sit around and figure out who's going to be the next Secretary of State and the next Secretary of Housing or whoever decides to leave. If it's a brand new person, there's this whole transition thing in teams. And so it doesn't settle down. And then just for fun this year, we've got that whole fiscal cliff thing going off in Congress. And by the way, describe the fiscal cliff. That is a term we are hearing every day. Yeah. Just please define it for us. The I fiscal absolutely f- will. And, you, you know, we forget we shorthand way too much. The fiscal cliff generally is the umbrella that incorporates 
a lot of things that are going to happen at the same time December 31st. It is a package of tax hikes that will go into effect unless Congress passes laws to keep current tax levels in place. There are all, there's also a package of spending cuts that will go in place. Put together, almost everyone looks at the combination of all of these and says, this will hurt economic recovery. If this happens, it's going to cost jobs. It's going to slow down the economy. So everyone agrees it's really bad, but no one agrees what they ought to take action on and what they ought to let allow to happen. It's funny. Nobody promoted it that way. Okay, guys, look, we're going to lead you to this cliff. Right. It's going to be fine. Yeah, that's right. Who came well, up with, who came, you know, who came up with the term? Congress's problem is that it expands to the amount of time it has to fix something. So if the deadline is December 31st, I can assure you that on December 31st at 11.45, they'll still be working on it. More practically speaking, speaking probably what they're going to do is say, Let's keep everything in place the exact way it is right now for three more months while we figure this out. All right. So we're going to be looking for that. And now in, in the short term, though, so we've got Tuesday night, the debate. How do you prepare for a debate, uh, especially one that's town hall style? What are you right. doing specifically? I, I'm doing everything specifically, if that makes sense. There's so many moving parts to this. There are the folks up on the stage, the town halls. There's the two candidates. There's the moderator. There's a different sort of format. This is a town hall person sort of kicks off the conversation with a question. Both men have their time to answer. Then I do the follow-ups and sort of press forward with the conversation. I am prepared for untoward things to happen on stage because, let's face it, you're going to have – 80, 85 human beings sitting on a stage, and you don't, you're assuming that these uncommitted voters, as identified by Gallup, are taking their job seriously here and asking questions. But there's also this fine line that you've watched these moderators take, whether it was Jim Lair or uh, Martha Radish, which is when do you say, Stop, you guys have talked enough about this, we're moving here. Or when do you let it go on because it's telling you something about these two candidates and how they differ? So it's always this kind of organic decision that you make. You can't go into it going, I'm going to stop them 20% of the time, but 80% of the time I'm going to let them go on. You've got to kind of figure out the flow. So there's those kind of stylistic things, and then there's all the substance to it. And you want to be able to move the conversation forward so you feel as though you need to know everything that's been said about something in the past. And believe me, they talk a lot, these two guys. So I sit around the table with some of CNN's finest minds, both political and just research minds, who say, no, that's not exactly what he said. He said this. So that I know when I go in, I have a body of knowledge that will help me kind of sift through the junk uh, when they start to talk. And you sometimes have a good idea what they're going to say, but things happen and you've, you've got to be able to shift to whatever that topic is. So I'm just putting as many facts and um, the substantive kind of policy things in my head as I can and trying to just sort of say to myself, in a way, this is going to find its own rhythm and you're going to have to go with it. 
So in a sense, it sounds a lot like improv. Yes. It's improv, but you can't be unprepared. It's like something you can't prepare for, but you better be more prepared than for anything else you've done. So, so let me ask you, is it true? I just heard at the end of your last show, State of the Union, just this morning, uh, Pete Dominic, one of my favorite CNN contributors, said, oh, Candy's taught me how to meditate. She believes in meditation. Is that true? I didn't teach him how to meditate, but I told him that he needed to take up meditation, as I would tell anyone, by the way. this That's not a comment on Pete's personality. It's just I have found it incredibly useful in my life. How long have you been meditating? Let's see, since the end of the last election. What does that tell you? Nearly drove me off the cliff, and I needed something, my own personal cliff. Um it was right after Obama McCain in that year, in that year. So three, four years. And, and what, what convinced you to do it? I don't know that I was convinced so much as I thought I'm going to try this because I have a good friend who's meditated for 36 years, and it has all this kind of, you know, beetle imagery kind of going back to the 60s and the 70s and this guy just swore by it and said it can do so much for you he showed me all these studies they've done about what it does for your blood pressure and this and that and i thought well what the heck and so i have to work i can stop i'm totally i'm totally intrigued how often do you meditate and when will be the last time you meditate before tuesday night's debate twice a day generally when i get up and then I try to get home early enough. It tends to be an energizing thing, so I don't do it before I want to go to bed. So I will do it late afternoon or early evening. I hope to be able to do my late afternoon meditation before the debate because the debate starts at 9 Eastern, and um, so I hope to do it before then. You've, you've given me a fantasy. I want, you, I want your yo-yes. I want your first question in the beginning of the debate. I'd like you to give the candidates a moment to meditate under your guidance. Oh, well, here's the good news. I only meditate. I don't teach it. <laughs> so, But a moment of silence n- never hurt anybody. I meditate 20 minutes uh, in the morning and at night. And uh, I don't know. It's just helpful. I would highly recommend it even to people that think, what could that possibly do for me? Just check it out. So now coming to, and taking that back into the skill of debating. So we, I've been speaking to a number of debate coaches from all over the country and a number of young debaters and sort of finding out, okay, what is what is the secret to, you know, to the professional debate societies, the clubs they have in college? And, and one of the key principles is listening. Oh. And do you, do you hear a lot of political candidates who truly have the ability to listen because we do get the sense that candidates come in with their talking points and they're just looking for the opportunity to get that talking point in. But have you in any of the previous debates heard real listening? And how do you plan to encourage, if you think that's your role, real listening in this debate? First of all, can I say that real listening, as you know, is also to me the premier interviewing skill that, yeah, that first question matters, but listening to the answer also matters. So I think that goes for moderators as well as these candidates. No, I haven't heard a lot of real listening. I don't think it's that, I've heard a lot of ignoring. They may hear the question, 
but they have a question they want to answer. And so they'll answer that question. What do I think? They don't want to make any mistakes. They don't want to kind of blow up where they are now with a big gaffe. So where's the safety zone? It's in their two-minute answers they've been practicing at their separate headquarters for the last couple of weeks. So it seems to me that, yes, a moderator does need to say, we understand that, sir, but you gave an answer about oranges, and the question here was about apples. What's your answer to that? I do think that if the moderator does nothing else, trying to get the question answered is basic. There's something else that debate coaches have told me, and this uh, this would be highly unusual on Tuesday night or any night on a debate like this, that an effective debate tool, as you are judged on college debate teams anyway, is to take the other side's argument and restate it in its most powerful positive light before you knock it down. So don't create a straw man and take the weakest side of their argument. Take the strongest part of their argument, say, I hear that argument, and now I'm going to destroy it. Have you ever heard that in any debate? Well, I've heard something I think similar to what you're talking about. I'm trying to think of an example, but it does seem to me that sometimes politicians will say, Right, and who could be against that? It sounds so wonderful that if you cut taxes by this much, this will happen, and then they tear it apart. But in general, particularly in debates, I think of college debates as being far more cerebral than what we see in presidential debates, and it may be the time constraints, and it may be just how politicians choose to do this. But if you've got two minutes or three minutes even or four minutes to respond, you don't want to waste, this is how they think, you don't want to waste a whole lot of time going, wow, doesn't that sound wonderful? Because then you would get this and this. Here's why it would be terrible. I think they just want to get to their points. Um you know, you seem like you're at the top of your game now, but you've always seemed like you're at the top of your uh-huh. game. Uh, is, is this new schedule for you where you're not on the road all the time, you know, where you've got your weekly show, do you feel sharper now than you've ever felt before? Hmm. I do, because here's the challenge of this. When you're on the road every day, it's about that day. Yes, it requires some knowledge of what happened the day before, which you're carrying with you. The su- a Sunday show requires you to kind of think, where's this going? How do I add to the body of knowledge of this week without repeating this week and move it forward into next week? So it's a little more strategic thinking as applied to a news program. Okay, listen. Whereas, we- you know, in, in the day-to-day stuff, you're going to go, oh, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, here it is in a package. This is more looking ahead. Let me ask you two more quick questions because I know you have to go back to your show. Uh, First question is, have you ever been knocked down in your career to a point where you felt you couldn't get back up, but somehow you did? Oh, yes. I think in the moments when you're really tired, where you feel underappreciated because, you know, we were reporters or sensitive types, when I get blasted from both sides, when all of those things kind of happen in a perfect storm, I think I'm like a lot of journalists, you think, what else, what other skill set do I have that I could go get another job? 
I have felt sometimes, oh, journalism's going this way, and I'm not that kind of journalist. Do I really want to stay in? But I always come back to the notion that you can still do good journalism, that you still serve a role, and it's still fun. And so I always get back up and try it again. Final question. I have three children. One of them is in middle school. The other one is in high school. Can you give them just a 60-second guide? They're going to be watching the debates. They're fascinated. Uh, Can you give them a little 60-second guide to what to look for, just how to watch this debate with a little bit of extra edge? Trust their gut feelings. I think people come away thinking, oh, I'm confused. What was all that thing about $719 billion? Forget that. When you, this person is going to be in your living room for the next four years of your life. They're going to appear when there's a crisis, they're there. When they've got something they want to tell you, they're going to be there. Who do you trust? And who do you think comes closest to what you think on two issues that are the most important for you? The perfect guy isn't out there. He only exists in Hollywood. So the perfect candidate is going to be someone that you think I care most about how I'm going to pay for college, I'm extrapolating because they're young, how I'm going to pay for college, and whether I'm going to be able to get a job when I get out. Then listen for those two issues because in the end, the perfect guy's not there, perfect girl's not there. So do, um, do what's closest to what you think. Candy, thank you so much. On Tuesday night, we'll be, we will be watching, I know, a well-rested, meditative, uh, <laughs> listening Candy Crowley. Thanks, Mike. It's really good to talk to you. 